And thank you for having me here with you today. It is an honor to be able to join you. I did record a sermon for you last year uh, for an online service at one point in time, but this is my first time actually being present with you in person, and it's always wonderful to be able to get to know some of the people who have been praying for us and supporting the work that we're doing, so uh, glad to be here with you. I am here with my family. Uh, my wife, Shoshana, is still here in the chairs, and my daughter, Aaliyah, just went off to the DC Kids program, so they are my joy and uh, central to my life and my ministry, so glad to have them here with us as well. And as Martin mentioned, I kind of wear a few different ministry hats. The oldest, the one that I've been involved in the longest, is campus ministry at Trent University in Peterborough, Ontario. I serve there as a chaplain, and I help oversee campus ministries that take place in that environment. And that's something that was actually central to my own call to ministry when I was a student at Trent University. Then, uh, after that, I had sensed a call to ministry, and one of the things God opened the door to very early on in our ministry was working with Cree youth in northern Quebec. So we drive over a 1,000 kilometers most summers in order to run summer camps for them, and over the years have gotten involved in youth retreats and parenting workshops and other things like that. So that's something that's been going on since 2010. And then alongside that, I've done various roles within local churches in Peterborough, youth ministry, discipleship ministry. And in 2019, God opened the door so that I could do more work with First Nations people alongside the work we do in Northern Quebec. And that takes the form of pastoring Curve Lake Christian Assembly, which is at a First Nation community just north of Peterborough, a small church, uh, about 25 people on a Sunday morning, typically, I would say. And I had the privilege of being able to transition over from a pastor who had been there for 15 plus years, and he very willingly passed the torch, set me up for success in integrating into the community and doing ministry there. So we've been doing that since 2019 and obviously through the COVID period, which I think, as you can imagine, was challenging at times, but also wonderful to see how God brought us there at a time when there was deep ministry needed and even things like my ability to use technology really played an important role in the church continuing over the last few years. So it's been a joy, and wearing those different ministry hats, we get to see all sorts of different kind of things happening. And we also are very dependent on God and on generous people like you to be able to continue in the ministry. And one of the things that I've shared often about is the way that God has provided for us supernaturally over the years. So thanks for being part of that, because it really has been an important source of uh, income and of spiritual support as we've gone through those different roles. Today, the passage I would like to talk about is Titus 2, 1 to 8. Now, at first, this passage might not immediately seem like it ties in very well with the ministry, but as you'll see, this actually touches on something that I think is really important for the church as a whole, but also is really important for our society as we heal from some of the trauma left over from the colonial era. So let's look at the passage, and then I'd like to unpack what it has to offer us in terms of wisdom for the church today. Titus 2, verses 1 to 8 reads... But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an atonement may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. 
Now, as we read over this passage, there's lots of things that could occupy our time. We could talk about what it means to teach sound doctrine and what sound doctrine is in the first place. We could also talk about how we cultivate the many character traits that Paul lists. Or we could talk about what we make of some of the gender roles that are at issue here, which is something I've had the privilege or uh, uh, a curse of being involved in many debates around that particular topic because of my own background in the Plymouth Brethren movement. But none of these are the things that I want to focus on today. What I'd actually like to focus on is something embedded in this passage that Paul largely assumes is taking place, but I think is really central to the ministry that the church is supposed to have. And this is the idea of mentoring. Paul instructs that older men and women should be teaching younger men and women in the faith and being role models for them as they grow up in the faith. What Paul assumes should be happening and tries to fill with this other content that we've just talked about is something that I think we need to recover. We need to pay close attention to in the church today because it really gets at the heart at some of the difficulties that we're having within the church across Canada and across Western civilization, as well as, as I alluded to, I think touches on one of the things that's gone on within First Nations communities as well that I've seen in my work with First Nations people. So that's the topic I'd like to zoom in on today, is this idea of mentoring. Here's the basic idea I want to put before you. I think that mentoring is a vital practice within Christian communities and needs to be something that we pursue intentionally within our churches and generally within our lives. Now, when I use this word mentoring, I have a particular definition in mind. I'm thinking of when older people build relationships with and offer support and guidance to younger people outside of their nuclear family. I'll say that again. When older people build relationships with and offer support and guidance to young people outside of their nuclear family. That's what I'm referring to when I use this word mentoring. And I see mentoring benefiting people all throughout Scripture. Not just in this passage, but it's something we see all over the place in the Bible. And I've experienced the benefits of mentoring personally. And I've also learned that mentoring has a real impact on the church as a whole when it's done well, and have witnessed this in my own ministry. So I'd like to touch on each of these elements of where I've seen mentoring at play personally, and then I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on how it is that we can engage in mentoring. Obviously, that's not going to be able to take up a huge amount of time since we are limited, but hopefully it gives you a little taste of what it is that I'm encouraging this church and really Christians as a whole towards when I say that mentoring is a vital practice within Christian communities and it's something we should be pursuing more intentionally. First of all, I said that mentoring benefits God's people throughout Scripture. As I said, in Titus 2, we see Paul alluding to this idea as he's teaching how life should happen in the early church. But I believe this is reflective of a pattern that exists all throughout the Bible. We see a number of really profound mentoring relationships shaping the life of leaders within Israel and the church, including Abraham mentoring his nephew Lot, or Jethro mentoring Moses as he's beginning to lead Israel, or Naomi mentoring her daughter-in-law, Ruth, at a time of painful transition for their family, or Mordecai mentoring his cousin, Esther. And even this letter that we've just read from, the letter of Titus, is actually an example of the Apostle Paul mentoring a number of young men throughout the New Testament, including people he wrote letters to that we now have in the Canadora Scripture, Timothy and Titus. 
So we see in all of these relationships, there is this, this pattern of somebody older and more mature in their faith coming alongside somebody younger and less mature in their faith and being present in their lives and then offering support and guidance as they go through the challenges of following God in their own unique time and way. One of the things that stands out to me as I look at all of these different things, sorry, we are a couple of slides ahead, we should have pictures up on uh, uh, these different stories. Yeah, there we go, perfect. One of the things that stands out to me as I look at this is that the relationships that they are founded on are actually quite varied, right? Some of them are related by blood. Not nuclear family, but cousins, aunts, uncles, something like that. Others are related by marriage. They, they have connected in like Naomi and Ruth through marriage that they become part of the same family. And others like Paul with Timothy and Titus, it's just circumstances that God brought them together. So there's a variety of ways that these relationships began, but it's always the same pattern of somebody older coming alongside, somebody is younger and impacting them and serving them in the name of God. I also think this is reflective of an overall theme that we see not just in Scripture, but God attributing to himself, which is God's character as one who adopts people into his family. And really, if you stop and think about adoption, is just an extreme version of mentoring. When you say to somebody outside of your nuclear family, I'm going to welcome you into my life and be present as somebody who supports and guides you over the years. And this is something that, of course, even Jesus himself benefited from with his adoptive father, Joseph. So God is an adopting God, and in the same way, we see that he has always used people who bring younger people from outside their family into their lives in order to support and encourage them. That's the foundation, I think, of mentoring, is God's own character as one who does that with us. The next picture I want to show is getting to the way that mentoring has benefited me personally. This is my nuclear family. We have myself, as you can see, uh, over there on the... I guess, left side of the picture. Over on the far right, one over, is my mother. And then we have my siblings, including my oldest sister, who's just under me on the far left, and then my two other sisters, Elizabeth and Naomi, so Lydia, Elizabeth, Naomi, uh, on the right side, and then my brother Isaac, right in the middle. And in case you can't tell, Isaac and I, he's the youngest, we are quite different people, <laughs> just based on the way we are dressed and look there. Who's missing in this picture? My father. That's right. Uh, my dad uh, was a, a pastor. I, I was born into a, a ministry home when I, was, when I was born, and he and my mom went on to have five kids together, seven years apart, and for the first number of years of my life, he was very intentional about training me up in the faith. But he ended up experiencing burnout and cheating on my mother when I was about eight years old and walking away from the ministry, and leaving our family, and uh, really abandoning my mom to have to raise us by herself, single mom of five kids. We would go and visit my dad, and he would make it clear that actually he saw us as an inconvenience and would rather not have so many kids. And so that was something that led to a lot of anger and hatred towards my father for a lot of my young childhood and, and early adolescence. But my mother remained faithful and very intentionally connected me and my siblings to Christian mentors through our local church. People who would be present in our lives and listen to us as we dealt with our grievances and offered a different kind of role model for us. And it was largely through the influence of those mentors that I was ultimately able to forgive my father, to understand what godly manhood looked like apart 
from him, to actually begin to build a positive relationship with him and now call him a friend, even though he's not a great role model, uh, and to wait on God to change him instead of trying to change him myself. And ultimately, mentors were the first people who actually identified that I was called to go into ministry, which, as you can imagine, was a little hard for me to receive, given where my dad had been in his story. But through their influence, I was able to see that my primary purpose in life was not to be different than my father, but actually simply to follow my heavenly father, as these men had been modeling to me over the years. So mentors played a really key role in my life, both personally and privately with my relationship with God and my father, but then also in terms of my public life as a pastor. If it wasn't for those godly mentors my mom connected me to, I wouldn't be here today in front of you. So I'm grateful for that. I, I get to connect with that biblical pattern in a very personal way, the way that we just talked about is laid out all throughout Scripture. And I am not alone in this. Good research has been done, actually here in Canada even, that shows that mentoring benefits people right across the church. There's two studies that were done, they're a little bit dated now, 10 to 15 years ago at this point in time, but they actually are still used as a standard of good research within the Canadian church. They're called hemorrhaging faith and renegotiating faith. The first was done as a, a group study trying to understand the experience of millennials that were raised in the church, and then the second was a deeper study trying to understand more deeply what the experience of those who were involved in that first study was like. And what they found was that when it came to young people staying in the church, one factor really stood out above all else, and that was what their home life was like. The family that they were from had a huge influence on whether young people actually stayed engaged in their faith if they were raised up in it. But then secondary, very closely linked to the life of the family, were three different things that all served a similar purpose. Youth ministry, camp ministry, and mentoring relationships. And as they dug deeper into the experience of those who had positively experienced those things and gone on to remain as Christians when they were older, the thing that they found was that all three of those different environments, what they did was they allowed young people to differentiate themselves and their faith from their parents while still having a healthy environment where they could stay connected to God and to Christian communities. Now, this might not be that surprising if I asked you what's important for young people to be involved in. I'd imagine you'd say, well, these things. But what stands out to me when I, when I read these studies is that we tend to focus a lot on the youth groups and the camp ministries. But I don't know that many Christian communities that are really intentional about that third part, the mentoring relationships. And as I've alluded to, for me personally, having benefited from that and reading these studies and hearing that, hey, there's actually other people who have really benefited from that. This is a burden that God has placed on my heart. We, we maybe need to pay more attention to that piece as well because I think they can really complement the life of the family in helping young people to grow up and remain in the faith and even become mature Christian leaders. I think this is particularly important at a time when the gap between generations is so stark. Because one of the things I hear all the time when I visit churches and hear what's going on, when I look at the churches I've been involved in, is that older people especially often feel like, I just don't know how to relate to the younger people around me. I feel like I don't understand them, and they don't want anything to do with me. And I think this is something that is 
really damaging the church over time. We're seeing a decrease across generations in terms of people participating in the church and Christianity in general. And so I think we need to be revisiting, okay, how do we make sure that the ones that we have with us are raised up in the faith in a real way that will last in their lives? And how do we actually begin reaching out and, and reintegrating some of those young people into the church? And I think mentoring plays a really important role in that based on studies like this one as well as what I see in the Bible and my own experience. And I have also seen firsthand the benefits of these tools in my own ministry. I'll get one more picture to put up here. This is some of the young people that I personally have mentored over the years. These are Trent students, and this is at an event that we were doing at Trent a, a couple of years ago when we were still allowed to serve food on campus because there wasn't a pandemic raging around us. As I mentioned earlier, I became involved in the campus ministry when I was a student myself and helped reboot the campus ministry in 2013 and have continued to mentor and serve as a chaplain for students since then. And one of the things that I really prioritize in that ministry is spending time one-on-one -on -one and in small groups with students, not just running events on campus, but actually getting to know them personally and offering them hospitality and support and wisdom as they go through all of the upheaval that goes on throughout their years. I also have seen this play itself out in the work that I do with First Nations people. As I mentioned, I help run camps for First Nations people, and one of the things that we hear from young people all the time is that when their nuclear homes were broken down, it was grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and other people like the people that we bring with us to run those camps. Those are the people that actually served as the connection point and the role model of what healthy Christianity and healthy living could look like. So it's really amazing when I talk to the young people involved in those camps, and they will talk about being in very abusive environments, but then they'll say, but my grandma's praying for me. But my cousin helped me get out when I needed to. But I reached out to one of the camp leaders that I knew when I was in a time of crisis, and they helped me get out of that time of crisis. And it's those people on the outside that often are the saving grace for First Nations people as they deal with the intergenerational trauma in their communities that help them to begin healing from that and find hope in the midst of those circumstances. I've also seen this at work even just in the neighborhoods around me as I get to know the kids in my neighbors' homes or in my family life. One of the greatest joys for me is that I have a kind of parental relationship with Shoshana's younger sister because she was from a pretty rough background and we had to bring her out and have her live with us through her upper adolescence. And I actually got to walk her down the aisle on the day of her marriage. That was a real treasure to be part of her life in that way. And I've seen how she's been able to grow out of some of the hurt that she was dealing with into a mature young woman this day, partly because of the fact that we took her in that way. Again, one of the things I've seen over and over again in my ministry work is that the gap between generations is a big one. And interestingly, this is one of the things that I see in both white communities and in indigenous communities. Now, I think the source is different. If we look historically, the gap that exists between generations in indigenous communities was actually very intentionally cultivated that when we look at the history of residential schools and forced adoptions and other measures that took place, there was actually a, a real attempt by the government and by Christian institutions at times to interrupt the transference of, generation, of, of values across generations. And that breaks my heart, the fact that we actually did that 
to people, uh, though I suspect that none of us were directly culpable for that. It's kind of the legacy of the relationship between our peoples. That was done to try and stop their culture from continuing, and in so doing, parental relationships were broken down, and there's a real trauma that's passed down across generations instead. I don't think we have that same sense that it was inflicted on us by an outside source, but it was inflicted on us, I think actually often by ourselves. When you look at the history of our societies, I think that what happened was there were these great wars that took place in the 20th century, and that led to a great deal of trauma and death and a breakdown of relationships across generations over a number of decades. And as a result of that, I think you see that there was a generation that was deeply traumatized and didn't know how to parent, and then their kids grew up not getting the kind of parenting that they needed and struggling to figure out how to do it themselves. And it's kind of been a slow process of rebuilding from that point onwards. And alongside that, in both indigenous communities and white communities, even as we've been trying to figure out how to overcome those historic traumas that went on in our communities, there's been this really rapid change in how generations function because of the expansion of technology, like the introduction of internet and cell phones and things like that, video games, things like that, that, that older people look at and go, I just don't even understand. I, I don't know how to make this cell phone thing work, and this is something they're on 24-7. <laughs> what do I do with this? So there's been a rapid change of how our culture functions, even as across generations we're trying to figure out how do we go back to the kind of parenting that maybe existed before some of the traumas that we suffered in our communities. So I think looking at all of this, the fact that there has been this breakdown across generations, and yet we see this pattern of when people can come alongside people outside their homes, it can be a source of healing and strength and hope for those who aren't receiving good parenting, who aren't receiving the kind of upbringing that they ought to have. I think this is something that really should push us to invest in mentoring relationships within Christian communities. This is one of the biggest ways that we can be a light to the nations. This is one of the biggest ways we can contribute to the rebuilding of our society. If we want our society to yet again come back to their first love of Jesus Christ, I think one of the ways we do this is by repairing the intergenerational traumas in building strong mentoring relationships. That's one of the key ministries that we can offer to people. And one of my greatest joys is when somebody affirms the value of what I've offered them in that regard. They say, Ben, you're like a second father or you're like an uncle to me. You've played this really critical role in my life. But one of the things that breaks my heart is that often I hear, but no one else has ever done this to me. No one else has ever offered me this kind of mentoring relationship. So this is my invitation, is let us commit ourselves to this in a fresh way and try and cultivate mentoring relationships, because I've seen the importance that it had, both in scripture and in my own life, as well as the ministry that I'm involved in and the studies that have been done of ministries like mine. Of course, the inevitable question that comes up is, how do I do this? And as I mentioned at the outset, I'm not gonna be able to spend a lot of time on this. I'm gonna run through some basic ideas very quickly, but I would love to hear your comments, questions afterwards, and to keep in touch with the church and offer what wisdom I can as each of you personally, and maybe the church as a whole, tries to cultivate this kind of mentoring across families and across generations. There is no real formula, but I think there are some best practices that I've noticed in my own life and in the lives of others who are doing this kind of ministry. 
First of all, this can be done by anyone to anyone if there's a gap in age or an experience. An older, more experienced person can come along, a younger, less experienced person. You don't have to be somebody who's an actual senior to mentor somebody who's younger. You can do this with somebody who's just a few years younger than yourself or less experienced in the faith. Here's some of the tips that I, I offer. And I want to note, these can be initiated by either party, the mentor or the mentee. Although I always encourage the older, more experienced person to take initiative where they can. First of all, ask God. Invite him into your life to help you discern who you should speak with about the possibility of building a mentoring relationship. And of course, as you do so, make sure that the parents of whoever is involved in it and the church are on board if necessary. Right? If the, the kind of relationship where you think there might be some concern about you initiating that relationship, make sure the church and the parents are on board with that. But I believe God can and will guide you to one or two people in your vicinity that you might be able to come alongside and mentor or be mentored by. Secondly, pick an age-appropriate and safe activity that you can do together. Mentoring can take place at any age, but of course you need to be discerning what is their capacity for building strong relationships. With younger kids, it might just be going to an activity. I had people who took me to hockey games or baseball games or things like that. Just doing that can be a very valuable mentoring ministry. Once you get older, it might be sitting down for a coffee or something like that, having, having a good long conversation together, as long as it's done in a way that's safe and age-appropriate. Then I encourage people, share life stories with each other. Swap your stories. Tell the person that you're with about your own personal story, the journey that you've been on, some of the hardships that you've faced, and then invite the other person to do the same. There's nothing better than getting to know each other's stories for solidifying a relationship of trust. Then as you do that and following, ask lots of good questions. If you don't understand or even if you're slightly offended by something, take a curious stance instead of pulling back from the relationship. Ask for clarification. Try and understand what it is that's going on inside of their heart and inside of their mind as they share those things with you. And in my experience, just that alone, being willing to take a curious stance, builds a certain kind of trust that allows you to then speak into those situations if there is something that needs to be addressed. Make sure to keep on meeting. Consistency and time are the most important building blocks for a trust relationship where you'll be able to offer support and wisdom over time. Just keep coming back. That alone communicates something vital to young people that you can be trusted and that you really do care about them. I encourage people as you do that, actually end each meeting talking about what can we do next. That's a good way to be accountable to keep on following through with the other person. Then, as you do this, you invest in them using time and relationship building, then you can begin to extend or to invite wisdom when you see the opportunity. Now, as you do this, one of the things I note, I language is always best. Instead of saying, you should do this, to say, if I were in that situation, here's what I would do. Or even better, when I was in a situation like that, here's what I did. That often is received better than, here's what you need to do to fix this. And remember, your job is not to fix their circumstance, but simply to be one piece of what God uses to help them navigate whatever it is that's on their plate. And finally, transition well. If the relationship needs to change, whether that's what you're doing together or it needs to take on a different form, or if it even needs to end, it is always best to do that on as strong a note as possible and, if needed, to help them find another mentor or mentee afterwards. 
This is one of the things I really appreciate in the campus ministry. I love it when I get a message from a parent or a youth pastor or even sometimes a lead pastor of a church saying, I have a young person coming to be part of Trent University. I saw your name attached to a campus ministry at the university. Can you make sure that they have follow through, that they've got somebody investing in their lives? That makes such a difference in the young person's life when there's that kind of continuity of care across transitions in life. Again, ask God, pick an activity, swap stories, ask questions, keep meeting, extend or invite wisdom, and transition well. We can go into more details if you want to talk with me privately outside of this, but hopefully, just a helpful overview. This is what a mentoring relationship ultimately looks like when it's done well. So by way of recap, again, I've invited you to consider the fact that mentoring is a vital practice within Christian communities and needs to be something we intentionally pursue. My experience, my understanding of scripture, my ministry work, and the research that's been done into our cultural situation all reveal the benefits of mentoring. And I think this is particularly important at a time when intergenerational divides are so big, both in white and in indigenous communities. There is no perfect formula for how we do this, but there are some best practices that I've offered you here today. And most of all, the most important thing is that you're just willing to try. And in my experience, just that, making the attempt to invest in younger people makes a huge difference in their stories. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us as revealed in your Son, Jesus Christ, and all throughout history and scripture, that you are a God who loves to adopt us into your family, even though we have estranged ourselves from you, and that you work through those who are willing to come alongside people outside of their homes to be a role model and a positive influence in their life. Father, I pray that this church would be one that's divine by those positive intergenerational experiences and that every individual here would see opportunities for that within their lives and be part of the healing across generations that we know you want to work as we recover from some of the wrongs that have been done throughout our society. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.